This is our fourth message. My name's Fred, by the way, but Barb already told you that. Um, <laughs> this is our fourth message uh, in a five-part series that we're doing uh, in the wonderful Old Testament book of Ruth. And uh, before we just jump in and, and look at it closely, there's a lot to cover this morning. Um, we need to pray again because um, we just need to pray. We always need to pray. Paul says, pray without ceasing, and so this is an opportunity. Let's, let's bow our heads in our hearts. Father, in my weakness, my great weakness, I pray that your strength and your grace would be seen, would be demonstrated. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit this morning. And that you would give us ears to hear. That we would hear your voice addressing us. And we would not harden our hearts. Lord, grant us to behold your beauty and your goodness toward us in Christ. We pray these things in his matchless name. Amen. Well, if the book of the New Testament book of James, if that, if that is a book that teaches us that uh, faith, that, that that sorry, that faith, genuine faith produces good works, um, then I think the the book of Ruth here, this little Old Testament book, really shows us that genuine faith is strategic. Genuine faith, in fact, in fact strategically plans how to be faithful. That's one of the things we see here in uh, Ruth chapter 3. We're going to see how Naomi and Ruth and Boaz each exercise strategic faith as they seek to live in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Um, I want to point out three things from the text this morning. First, Naomi's plan... Second, Ruth's risk. And third, Boaz's promise. So that's my outline. Let me give it to you again. Naomi's plan, Ruth's risk, and Boaz's promise. So let's begin with Naomi's plan. Last Sunday, I pointed out that that Naomi's faith was revived and renewed when she heard from Ruth that, you know, she had kind of by chance wandered into Boaz's field and found extraordinary favor from this man. And, and, and Naomi heard about that, and her faith was awakened and renewed. She saw in the favor of Boaz the, the steadfast love of the Lord, that hesed love of the Lord, that covenant-keeping love, that loyal love that God shows, for, shows toward his people. That's what she saw in the favor that Boaz showed toward Ruth. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi exclaimed, The Lord's kindness, that's his hesed, loyal love, has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then she said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
See, right there, Naomi's words suggest to us that what she sees in the favor of Boaz goes way beyond the fact that he has provided food and water for Naomi and Ruth. Naomi sees something more going on here. She has the faith to discern the hidden hand of God in the picture. She sees that that the Lord is bringing Boaz into the picture in order to play this role of a redeemer. Mark that, that word, redeemer. We're going to come back to it a little later on in the message, but this is an important thing that we just can't get to right now because right now I want us to focus on and pay attention to this plan, this this plan that Naomi has. See, even though, I love this part, even though she sees the favor of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord at work toward her, Naomi's faith isn't passive at all. She doesn't sort of retreat to a mountaintop, you know, retreat center and pray pious prayers and just wait for God to do whatever God's going to do. Naomi grabs the bull by the horns. She's a take charge kind of gal and she gets active. There's nothing passive about her faith at all. She's not fatalistic. This is important for us to realize because genuine faith is never fatalistic. Genuine faith leans in and gets busy. And that's exactly what we see here. Naomi makes a plan and then she puts it in motion. Look at verse 1. She says to her, to uh, Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, back in chapter 2, Ruth went out to the fields to glean in order to provide for Naomi. And now in chapter 3, Naomi is being active, wanting to seek something, wanting to seek rest and well-being for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She wants to secure for Ruth a better future. So she develops a strategic plan. A plan to seek, the text says, Ruth's rest. Now, rest doesn't doesn't simply mean, you know, kind of a break from hard work. That's not what it really means here in the text. It's getting at something that's a lot more secure, something that's more permanent. Specifically, Naomi wants... Ruth to find long-term protection and long-term provision. I put that another way. Uh, Naomi's looking for a husband for her daughter-in-law. That's what she's doing. And she has set her sights on Boaz. Now, I don't know about you. You know, some of us complain about overbearing mother-in-laws. Thankfully, that is not the case with me. Um, You know, this might seem a little overbearing, We have to realize that in this culture, it was normal, it was expected that parents, if they wouldn't play at least a role in helping to arrange, you know, partners in marriage for their kids, they they might take the whole, they might take charge of the whole thing. And we've got to remember that Ruth has left her home. Ruth has left her family. Ruth has come to Bethlehem and Naomi is the only family she has left in the world. 
And so Naomi hatches this plan. Look at it in verses 2 to 4. Here's what she says. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Maybe you were working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, cover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So as I said before, Naomi has set her sights on Boaz. And we don't know how Naomi knows this, but Naomi knows that that very evening, Boaz is going to be down at the threshing floor winnowing. So Naomi gives this seven-point strategy uh, to Ruth. Here it is. Wash yourself. Always a good idea. Good policy. I would suggest every day. Guys, sometimes that's twice a day. Second, anoint yourself. Remember, deodorant had not yet been invented. Three, put on your cloak. It gets cold at night. Four, go down to the threshing floor because that's where Boaz is going to be. She has inside information. Five, stay out of sight. Stay hidden until the time is right. Six, keep your eye on where Boaz goes to sleep. X marks the spot. Pay attention. And lastly, seven, go and uncover his feet, lie down, and then he will tell you what to do. So that's our seven-point strategic plan. Now, before we look at Ruth's reply to her mother-in-law, there are just two things I I think we, we should look at from this plan of Naomi's. First, I think... Some people that I've read suggest that here, this plan, uh, Naomi's getting ahead of herself. People suggest that, you know, Naomi is maybe, um, she's taking matters into her, her, her own hands. She's trying to force the situation to go the way she wants it. That's the way some people read this text. And admittedly, you know, Uh, This is a pretty bold plan, and there's some risk to it, but I just don't see anything here to suggest that Naomi's getting ahead of God. I think this is strategic faith at work. Genuine faith is strategic. Genuine faith makes plans like this. I think her chutzpah is an expression of her faith. My wife liked that one. And to come back to it before, I mentioned a moment ago, here's the point I'm pressing against this morning. I am concerned that many think that faith is kind of passive. Many people think that, you know, faith is kind of this vague, mystical idea or this feeling that we have about spiritual things or God. 
And I would suggest that we don't see anything like that in the Bible, in the examples that the Bible gives us. There's, there's nothing like that passive, you know, kind of guru-like meditational faith. Biblical faith is active. Biblical faith is strategic. Biblical faith plans and gets busy. Rather than that sort of mystical, vague sort of notional faith. I, I like Martin Luther. I think Martin Luther's definition of faith is much closer to the biblical essence of it. He says, I love this quote, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace that is so sure and certain that a person could stake their life on it a thousand times. The first lesson from her plans is a lesson of what faith looks like. It's strategic. Second lesson I think we need to see from this plan is that I don't think there's anything in this narrative to suggest that Ruth is encouraging Naomi to use her sex appeal on Boaz. A lot of of commentators think that. And I, I just, I've read it through many times. I just don't see it here. Unfortunately, the NIV kind of suggests something like this in their translation of verse 3. Here's what they say. Get dressed in your best clothes. That would lead us to think that maybe, you know, she's saying, get your, you know, get your black dress and your high heels on and go and wow that guy. You know, he'll be gaga. I don't think that's what the text says. In fact, I know that's not what the text says. Naomi is not telling Ruth to use her sex appeal. In fact, the word here in verse 3 is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to not only refer to women's outer garments, but also men's outer garments. So our ESV translation here as cloak is much more fitting, pun intended. You like that? My son's walking up. <laughs> so I don't think Naomi's plan is for Ruth to make herself more desirable. I think Naomi's plan is for Ruth to be warm enough at night. Look at verse 5. This is her response. And she replied, all that you say I will do. And that brings us to our second point, Ruth's risk. In verses 6 to 9, here's what we read. So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, somebody might ask, why does he sleep at the threshing floor on the grain? But think about it. You know, this is valuable. You've done all the work. And if you go home... Guess what? It's not going to be there in the morning. That's why he's sleeping here. Verse 8. Sorry, sorry, yeah, verse 7. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? (laughs) Now, this is very unusual. Anybody here 
had any experience like this. You know, it's when you read a text like this that you feel that, you know, historical distance. It's a very unusual event, very unusual series of events. But, but here's the point. Contrary to the suggestion of some, and I'm not trying to be contradictory today. I, I just, I think some people make more of this text than is really there. You know, contrary to the suggestion of some, I don't think we're meant to see this as a sexually charged scene. I don't think we're meant to read sexual tension into this, you know, these events at midnight on the threshing floor. Quite frankly, I think that sometimes a reading like that says more about the reader than it does about the author. I say this, I make that argument, I say this about the text, not because I'm trying to be a contrarian, but think about what we've learned about Boaz and Ruth. See, already in these first three chapters, we have learned again and again, in fact, it's said explicitly of both of them, that Boaz is a worthy man. And and that Ruth is a worthy or a virtuous woman. She is, in fact, an example of a Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, last week we saw that Boaz went out of his way to protect Ruth. He instituted an anti-sexual harassment policy at work. So there's no way that they are going to go against everything they are and just throw their purity away in some moment of heated passion on the threshing floor. It's It's just not there. So why, why does Ruth go down to the threshing floor at night? And I'll tell you, I looked at about 15 books to try and answer this question and got about 15 different answers. Thanks, guys. Some suggest, a number of people suggest, that this is an ancient custom in Israel. But neither the rest of the scriptures or any other ancient source that we know of confirms that view. It might be, but we just can't say. There's nothing definitive to tell us why this way of going about it. Now, perhaps, um, perhaps the fact that Ruth is a much younger, uh, is much younger than Boaz, perhaps the fact that she is a Moabite, Perhaps the fact that she is a a widow and is, frankly, dirt poor. Perhaps because of all of these things, it it makes her want to approach the situation sort of under cover of darkness. You see, perhaps Ruth is guarding Boaz from any social embarrassment. Anyway, Ruth follows Naomi and her plan to the letter. She notices where Boaz goes and lies down on the threshing floor on the grain and she quietly comes up and she uncovers his feet and she lies down there. And then it says that at midnight, Boaz woke up. His feet are cold. 
right? He wakes up. And as you might guess, he's freaked out. (laughs) Boaz is startled. Hey, whoa, what's going on here? Who are you? He can't see her. It's pitch dark out. And this is where Ruth deviates from Naomi's plan. In verse 9, instead of waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, in verse 9 we read, And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now the language here is very respectful. Who's got the cricket? Just teasing. Um, the language here is very respectful, but we got to admit this is pretty bold. You know, she takes the initiative, right? This is bold and this is risky. You know, by saying to Boaz, "I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." Here's what's going on. Ruth is, in effect, not waiting to hear what Boaz has to tell her. Ruth is telling Boaz what he should do. See, faith sometimes takes the initiative. This is bold. This is risky. She is propositioning him. She's asking him to marry her. This is a very odd, you know, you know that the big thing is to put out a website these days and, and when you get engaged, you know, you have a story and photographs, maybe a video, you know, of, of the whole engagement event. Imagine this on, on your website. You know, it's the engagement of Boaz and Ruth, you know, I don't know. That <laughs> would be very odd. But that's what she's doing here. She's proposing to him. She's asking him to marry her. This poor Moabite woman, dirt poor, proposing to this Israelite man who is a pillar in his community, a man of wealth, a man of stature. You know, think of it. I mean, it's one thing to show uh, Ruth favor, but marriage? It would be tempted Maybe Ruth has just overplayed her hand a little bit. Maybe she's just taken a step too far. Now, it's entirely possible that that all of this audacity would offend or insult Boaz. Everything right here could go sideways. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, Ruth knows exactly what she's doing. Maybe she has good reason to believe that Boaz will look upon her proposal with favor. You can see her confidence, her confident faith coming through in the unusual way that she words her proposal. You know, in this word picture of Boaz spreading his wings over her, it reminds us, it ought to remind us of what 
Boaz said to Ruth back in chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what he said to her. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, just as Ruth took refuge under under the wings of Yahweh, so she is asking Boaz to give her refuge under his wings. I like to say that Ruth is suggesting that Boaz do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Ruth is suggesting to Boaz that he, as we've seen before, should be the face of God's grace to her. That's exactly what he's done all the way along. So I think she went into this boldly, taking the risk, but ultimately her faith made her confident that God was going to go with her, God was going to go before her, and God was going to bring about the result. This idea, I love this idea of finding refuge under the wings of the Lord. It shows up many times in the Old Testament. One of my favorites is Psalm 36, verse 7. It explicitly God's Hesed covenant love with the refuge of his wings. David writes, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So to say again, you know, Ruth's Ruth's proposal is risky, but it's not reckless. And and I would suggest that wisdom is able to discern the difference. See, faith that is wise, this is important for all of us, faith that is truly wise is able to discern the difference between taking a risk glory of God stepping out in faith to trust him and being absolutely reckless and doing something foolish wise faith discerns the difference James says if you lack wisdom ask God we need we need to ask God for the wisdom to discern the difference between a risky bold confident faith that is trusting God and stepping out to do great things for Him and a foolish faith that hurts others and ultimately damages our own witness. Well, at this point, we need to bring in the idea of Redeemer that I mentioned earlier on. See, back in chapter 2, verse 20, as I mentioned earlier, Naomi said that Boaz was, quote, a close relative, one of our redeemers. And now, here at the threshing floor at midnight, when Ruth speaks to Boaz, here's what she says. Let me remind you, spread your wings over your servant, for because you are a redeemer. See, the idea is showing up again. And, and, and so we've got to understand, what's this idea? What is this redeemer idea? Because that's why, because he is a redeemer, that's why 
Ruth is asking for for Boaz to spread his wings over her and give her refuge. So according to ancient laws and ancient customs, the Redeemer was a close relative or a kinsman, a close relative or a kinsman, who was expected to step in and buy back or redeem the property of a dead relative. Here's what Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid writes. He said, Under certain circumstances, the kinsman redeemer would also be expected, in addition to buying back the property of the dead relative, the kinsman redeemer would also be expected to marry his relative's widow in order to raise up a family for the dead man, a family who would inherit his property, and I would add, perpetuate his name in Israel. So that's the idea of a redeemer, and that's exactly what Ruth is asking Boaz to be for her. By marrying her, Boaz is going to fulfill this role of a redeemer, not just to to Ruth, but to Ruth's dead husband and to Elimelech, her father-in-law. And in being their redeemer, he would also shoulder the responsibility of providing for and protecting Naomi. So this is a big ask. This is a huge commitment. You know, some... Some younger people like to get married, but only after the, uh, the uh, college loans are paid off. You know, well, she's bringing some liabilities into the relationship. He's got to, you know, figure this out. Is this, is this a good bet? Well, that brings us to our third point, Boaz's promise. Here's his initial reaction in verse 10. <clears throat> you know, it's not, are you nuts? Verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last hesed, this last steadfast love, greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, Boaz isn't insulted and put out, Boaz is honored. Boaz, remember, is a worthy man. Boaz is not the kind of man who runs away from his responsibilities. Boaz knows who he is in the context of Israel, in the context of shouldering the responsibility of being a kinsman redeemer, and he's willing to step into that role. I dare say, I think at this moment, Boaz felt the hand of God on him. It's kind of for such a time as this. He's not insulted. He's honored. And he recognizes immediately that this kindness of Ruth to him, what what kindness? Well, why why is she going to him, this older man, instead of maybe going after some younger guy? Whether he's rich or poor, you know, love and uh, butterflies and all that kind of thing. Why aren't you, you know, hanging out with the young people, you know? And it's because Boaz recognizes that she is there not only for him. She is there for her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is another expression of her steadfast, loyal love for her mother-in-law, 
and, and, and Boaz is blown away. Boaz is honored to step into that role. So in light of all that she has done, Boaz makes a promise. Look at verse 11. Well, we'll look at that in a sec, but right after he makes a promise, he also introduces an obstacle in verse 12. So here's what it says. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy or a virtuous woman. So he promises to fulfill what she is asking. Verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz promises to redeem Ruth and Naomi. As I said before, he's a worthy man who stands by his word. He's not going to go sideways on this promise. But there is this problem. There's this other kinsman redeemer. The other kinsman redeemer is even a closer relative. And so potentially he's the fly in the ointment. He's the one that's going to kind of upset the apple cart so none of these great things that we we sense that God has been leading in all the way along so that they're not going to come to pass. And I don't know about you, but Boaz's response here, it it seems kind of cold and business-like, doesn't it? You know, who'd want to be talked to like this, you know? Well, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do so. You know, I mean, you'd want a little, like, You'd want to feel like you're wanted. But it just seems like he's doing business. It sounds like there's no chemistry between them. But as we'll see next week, Boaz definitely has a plan. Definitely has a plan. He's a strategic guy. His faith is thinking out about what's going to happen next. And he's going to do everything he can to make sure that he is the redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. Perhaps he says this because he's trying to manage her expectations. He doesn't want to, you know, presume upon what God is going to do in this situation. He has a living, daring confidence in the grace of God, but he doesn't want to be presumptuous in his faith. He respects the limits that God may put in place from time to time. And that's another important part of faith. You know, Boaz is an older guy. He's walked with the Lord for a a, a long time. And he has learned, he has discovered, he has learned by experience that not everything works out the way that you'd hope and pray that it would. And so maybe he's managing her expectations. He's not, he doesn't want her to, to think that this is a done deal. It's in the bag. It's a fait accompli. God's plans may interrupt their plans. And that's a way in which we should look at our situation. God's plans may often interrupt our plans. And he's preparing for that. He's managing for that. And by recognizing this other redeemer, Boaz is acknowledging 
that God is God and he is not. That's important for us to always say to ourselves, isn't it? You You are God, I am not. We can plan, we can strategize, we can have bold faith. But at the end of the day, Psalm 115.3 reminds us that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. So that brings us to verses 14 and 15. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Another reason why this isn't sexually charged is the other ones that were helping him thresh the barley are there on the, uh, the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. So Boaz makes sure that there's not even the hint of any impropriety. Boaz takes measures. He thinks wisely about how he is working to protect their good reputation in the community. That's important. That's what faith does. Faith protects what God has given you. A good reputation, if you have a good reputation, there's, there's few things that are more valuable than that. Be wise about how you steward your reputation. Guard against the appearance of evil, Paul says. And then, and then this wonderful gesture. He measures out these, this barley for Ruth and for Naomi. And it's a sign, isn't it? It's a sign of this, this, this promise that he has made. Even here, we're beginning to see. Remember Naomi, and and, and she came into Bethlehem. She was empty. She had nothing. And all their interactions with Boaz have been nothing but provision, provision to the extreme, an overabundance. And here again, Boaz makes sure that that Ruth doesn't go home to her mother-in-law empty-handed. And this is a way of saying, God's grace is towards you through me. Trust. And then at the conclusion in verses 16 to 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her that all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I love the way this, this is like a Hollywood movie. It does not end on this foreboding, you know, dark note. Chapter 3 concludes with this confident anticipation of what's going to happen next. You know, we are going to tune in to the next episode because we're, we've got this confident anticipation that something wonderful is coming. Now, if you look at Naomi, you know, she's, we, can, we see it happening, right? She's, she's helped Ruth to find her rest, the rest that she mentioned back in verse 1. But interestingly, here in verse 18 at the end, Ruth says that Boaz will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And numerous times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, rest is a metaphor. Rest is a metaphor that 
points to redemption. It's a metaphor for redemption. And perhaps the most famous example of this is found in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, ultimately... The rest that Naomi wants for Ruth, in fact, that the rest that all of us want, the rest that all of us desire, the rest that all of us are seeking, it's only found in the rest that Jesus Christ promises us. See, Jesus Christ is the greater the better kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save us, to redeem us from our bondage to sin and death. There is no rest from those things, from from the bondage to sin and death. There's no rest from those things except for Christ. Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for many. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus did not rest until the matter was accomplished and completed once for all, finally, eternally for us. He did not rest once until he had purchased our redemption our forgiveness, our reconciliation with God. That is our rest. Whatever rest we seek in this world, it's fleeting. It's elusive. It's fading. Only Jesus Christ can give us this rest that all of us right now are hungry for and looking for and longing for. A vacation will not give you the rest that you need. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation. But just manage your expectations. And and all of us are out there doing a hundred or a thousand different things. We're striving to find this this rest, this well-being that only Christ can give us. Only Jesus has conquered the grave through his resurrection from the dead and secured an eternal redemption for all those who call upon him with a living, daring confidence in God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that you are the great redeemer and you sent your son our kinsman redeemer into the world to purchase us with his own blood, to buy us back from our bondage to sin and death, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to pay its penalty and break its power so that in him we are welcomed into 
your rest. The presence of your rest. Father, grant us to live there with you every day to pursue that rest in Christ every day and not to be fooled by the false promises that this world continually makes to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.